If God is able, we are able. Welcome to the One Cause Church podcast with Pastor Eric Holler. Amen. Well, let's jump into the message today. Um, we're going to we're finishing our series titled "I Will," and so I want you to take your Bibles and turn to the Book of John, chapter one. Um, we talked about reading our Bibles daily. We're just reconfirming or maybe a new beginning for some of you, having some strong spiritual resolutions in your life for this year. One, reading your Bible on a daily basis. It's so important that you're in it all the time. Keep yourself in the environment of reading and hearing the word, not just in church. I mean, I thank God you get it here, but your personal growth happens when you personally spend time with you and God, all right? Spending time, I mean, knowing him is, is knowing his word. That's how you get to know him. He's expressed himself in this beautiful scriptures, and so he invites us all to come and know him. Amen. And, um, and also in prayer, having a daily prayer life and moving beyond just kind of the normal things that you do. We all, we are habitual in nature, so we find ourselves, you know, saying our prayer over our meal and saying a goodnight prayer and kind of getting into a little rut at times if we're not careful to keep things interesting. And that's why I think the Lord gave us the ability to pray in other tongues, because uh, that definitely keeps things interesting. I know it does for my life. Been, been praying in the Holy Ghost, seems like, all my life, and I still to this day go, this is some wild stuff. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Praying that God's given us all these wonderful avenues and ways to speak to him. He who prays in a tongue speaks to God, not to man. His spirit prays. And then Paul said, I'll pray in the spirit and I'll pray in the understanding. Amen. So God has given you ways to, to communicate to him through prayer. And remember what I said, prayer is uttered. It's with the mouth that you make known his faithfulness. Amen. Amen. Uh, you can meditate, you can meditate and think on the things of God, but that's not the same as prayer. Prayer is where you open your mouth and let your voice utter your request to God and your praise to God and whatever that is that you have need of, ask and you will receive. Amen. Amen. So uh, have a daily routine of seeking God, praying. Uh, The scripture says to pray always and to pray without ceasing. You know, just all throughout the day, you just have this continual connection to God because your attitude and your heart and your life is set on him. So you still moments all throughout the day of prayer and just thanking him. Amen. Most of your prayer life ought to just be thanksgiving anyway, right? That's what it should be uh, full of because even Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 14, he talked about how zealous they were for the things of God. And man, they were some tongue talkers. I tell you what. I, and so Paul had to set some order there for them, uh, not to forbid them from doing it, but to bring some order to what they were doing. How many of you know z- being zealous or passionate isn't everything? It is part of the deal, but being decently and in order comes right along with it. All right? You can be zealous and passionate and have order too because God is not the author of confusion. He's the God of order. He p- sets things in order. So, um, what was I going? I just lost my train of thought. <sighs> yeah, anyway. So having a daily, daily prayer life is important. Praying without out ceasing. And then the, the third week, last week we talked about serving. I will serve and I will give and being a contributor and looking out for others. We talked about the, the, uh, the parable of the talents, those who are faithful with what God had given them. And God has not called you to do everything, but he certainly has called you to do something. And he's put a gift in you in such a way that only you can express that gift. Yeah. He's made you so unique for his purpose. And so he's given you a, a unique way then to express the gift, to serve him. And he loves 
you. He delights in you. He delights in how you, you serve and how you contribute and how you invest into his kingdom. It's really glorious. And, and as Christians and as believers, our nature changed when we received God's nature. When we became a new creation in Christ, no longer did our lives then become about us because that's what this flesh really loves to do, feed itself, right? It's got these appetites. But see, as a believer, you're called to give to others now. Now you have his nature. God so loved the world that he gave, amen? So express our love by being continual givers and servers. And today, I want to just finalize this message up by talking to you about being a bringer, being a bringer. We're going to look into the life of a disciple who is not well known in the scriptures, but he is known mainly for the reason of being Peter's younger brother. But over in John chapter one, we, one, we, wine, that was not a Freudian slip. <laughs> John chapter one, we find a disciple who, um, who seems to be in the behind the scenes a lot, but is doing tremendous things for the kingdom of God. Because he has this attitude, he has this action about his life where he is continually bringing people to have audience with Jesus. And this is the man by the name of Andrew. Even his name kind of gives his action, Andrew, people to Jesus. I didn't ask for your opinion on that. Oh, by the way, speaking of opinion, uh, there are, uh, I, I know that being, being or having this, this online giving option that we have, which has been great, and I know a lot of you have, a, have gone that route because it's just so much more convenient these days to, you know, do everything electronically, but I know that I can at times, and I'm sure some of you have felt the awkwardness of the bucket being passed in front of you and, and not putting anything in the bucket because you give online, so if you feel uncomfortable about that, just give twice. Yeah. Just, that'll, that'll solve all your discomfort and embarrassment. <laughs> I'm partially kidding. But no, just stand, you know, if you feel like you need to, people, you don't you know, want people to think that you're not a giver, just stand up and say, I give online. Okay, just want everybody to know. And then you can be seated. And, all right. <clears throat> Andrew took it upon himself to bring people to Jesus. And this is important for us to look at this man's life because there are some, there are some who believe that everything is done by a, the sovereign will of God and everything happens by his control. There, there are a lot of problems with that because if that so is the truth, then that, when do we know to take the responsibility to do what we need to do? When do we make the choice if he's already made the choice? See, God honors his free will. God honors his, his choice to give us free will, that is, to give us a choice. Amen. So Andrew didn't go and ask Jesus who he ought to go minister to and what his sovereign will was. Andrew just brought people to Jesus. Now, if you're here today and you're a Calvinist, I want to encourage you to go buy a cat because they're the perfect pet for Calvinists. Because you didn't choose them, they choose you. Uh, man, I got way off track there. Okay, John, John chapter 1. <laughs> A bunch of Calvinists here or what? Y'all got real quiet on me. Uh, no, we're Bible people, not Calvinists. All right. We'll go into that some of Some of you are like, what is he even talking about? But 
I'm sorry. Didn't mean to talk theologically over your heads. Forgive me. All right, let's go to John chapter 1, verse 35. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) I'm already having fun up here. This is great. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. This is John the Baptist. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now, at that moment, they realized that um, they needed to change leaders. When he said, this is the Lamb of God, Andrew and John, who were here, said, oh, okay, well, thanks, John. And they went and followed him. What's John wanted them to do that? They weren't abandoning John. And they followed Jesus. Look at verse 38. And then Jesus turned, seeing them following, said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which is to say when translated teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and remained with him that day. Now it was about the 10th hour or four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two disciples heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found, everybody say first found. First found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Let's all say that together. And he brought him to Jesus. Andrew thought the first person that he needed to bring to Jesus was one of his own family members. And these family members are the everyday people in your life. Your family, the ones who you are familiar with, the ones who you know all too well and know you all too well. And we'll remind you of that from time to time, how well they know you. Especially if you try to make any changes. (laughs) And it can be difficult at times to bring family to church or to Jesus who don't normally go or are interested. And many times, the truth is, you just don't want to deal with the hassle of breaking through that familiarity um, that you have with them. And as a result, you might find yourself just reserved to the fact that maybe you're not the one to do it, or maybe another time would be better, or you would just rather not do it at all. Peter is the first person Andrew thinks to bring to Jesus. Now, Peter is Andrew's older brother. Now, that can be intimidating by itself, that the younger brother has something to show the big brother. Because all of his life growing up, you know, in his early years, the younger brother is there to learn from the older brother, and the older brother is there to remind him that's how it works. Right? I am an older brother, and that's how it worked in my family. And my younger brother is coming here to... uh, Brandon's coming here to speak to our men on Saturday. I'm really excited about that. Uh, but, uh, and so growing up, I always made sure that he needed to remember that he was subordinate to me and younger and weaker and dumber. All right? <laughs> I'm not saying all that was true, but I'm just saying I felt it was my mission to inform him of those things. <laughs> so now, Andrew, the younger brother, has something to show to his brother, to tell him. And it's really something marvelous. It's something that they all had been looking forward to. They had read in the, uh, in, from the prophets of old about the Redeemer who would come and to redeem his people and God who would establish his kingdom and talked about the government would be upon his shoulders 
Glory to God. His name would be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And now here he says, he comes to Peter and says, guess what? He's here. I've seen him, Peter. I've talked to him. I spent all day at his house. He is here, the one we've all been waiting for and talking about. He's here. What a great, what a great, great thing that Peter or that Andrew got to bring his older brother to Jesus. And he brought him to Jesus. And, and we know a lot about Peter. We know very little about Andrew. There's just a few references in the scripture about him. But how many of you know he played an incredibly significant part in the kingdom of God by simply bringing his brother to Jesus? And I want to encourage you to be a bringer. Bring your family. The people in your house are the first mission field in your life. I know for me, I deem it a great responsibility that my wife and my children seek the Lord and know God before I make sure that anybody else knows him. They're my first mission field. What a shame it would be for me to lead others to Jesus and not my own family. Amen. I, growing up in a pastor's home, I, was, I knew a lot of pastor's kids. And pastor's kids have a reputation that they have for a reason. Because most pastors don't know how to raise their kids. And that's just the truth. They sacrifice their children on the altar of building a ministry. And their kids grow up hating the church and they hate Christianity and they, hate, they don't want anything to do with it. I had friends who absolutely despised the church. And I was grateful I didn't realize how special my upbringing was to be able to have the man and woman in my life who were pastors, but who also practiced what they preached from that pulpit and raised us up in the things of God. I never, ever, ever one day had a distaste for the house of God, ever. I've always loved it. I've always found that there's real life in the church. There's real joy and fulfillment in the house of God amongst God's people. And I'm just grateful to be a part to be able to do my share, to continue to see that it grows and increases. But that all happened in our house. That, that, that attitude and that, that love for God's house happened in our family, see? But, you know, it wasn't all the, always that way, for my, especially for my mom. Her side of the family was, uh, they were not people who walked with God. And uh, when she was growing up, she had a, she had a she was very poor, and uh, grew up in a broken home. So uh, they weren't churchgoers. If they did, they simply went every once in a while, just basically out of religious obligation or duty, and uh, went down to the local church down the road. And uh, if my, grand- my grandmother was not a church attender at the time, but if you asked her where she went, she would tell you down at the Church of Christ down on Main Street. Well, I don't know if it's Main Street, 77 there in Thackerville, right? If she was going to be associated with any kind of church, it was that. Not that she regularly went, not that she was a regular contributor, but that's just what she's always known. And that's how her, her life with God was. It was just, there wasn't really any life there. It was just an association, a very loose association at that, right? And every once in a while, darkening the doors of the church just to kind of appease that guilty conscience, you know, when God would penetrate a little bit through the heart and she didn't find herself going to church and then, all right, all right, I'm good for the year or (laughs) five years or whatever it was. But it just wasn't a godly environment. And she had been divorced from my grandfather uh, when my mother was very young. 
And it was not a good divorce. It was a lot of hatred and a lot of bitterness. And so my grandfather was estranged from my mother uh, for many, many years. And so she grew up with the impression that things were one way. And then when we actually began to restore that relationship with my grandfather when I was just a kid, my mother found out there was a lot of misinformation handed down to her concerning him. And it was simply just so that she couldn't build that bridge and have that relationship with him. And he was an alcoholic at that time. And he was a violent man. But over time, he ended up getting some help and joined AA. Thank God for great programs like AA. And so we had my grandfather clean and sober for 25 plus years before he passed away. But in 2006, my mother, see, she, she once she really latched a hold of God, and she really helped my dad come around because he was just a backslidden teenager at the time, and she helped bring him around. And uh, they both committed themselves to the house of God. And this wasn't any ordinary church. This is the church down the road where they were, they were kooky. Right? They, they spoke in tongues, and they, they did all kinds of wild things over there. They ran around church sometimes. There, no telling what was going to happen over at that little bitty Pentecostal church down the road. Matter of fact, I would try to get my uncle to go once in a while. He said, Eric, i got to tell you, that church scares me to death. I will never go in that church. That place is crazy. <clears throat> but when they committed themselves to the things of God and living for God, then the label start, started being put on them, right? You guys, some of you know what this is like, being accused of things like that. They call you holier than thou or holy roller or, you know, Anytime you do anything, you might say, you might even have a slip up, maybe cuss. I don't know. I doubt anybody in this room does that. But it's people that go to other churches. Do, do anything, and the first thing they'll say is, and you call yourself a Christian. Right? Well, you ought to be a pastor. And you're a pastor. Right? And so that happens so there was just a lot of tension there. And my mother, she just continued to pray for her family. And, and any time that she could, maybe invite them to different events. But there just was no interest. As a matter of fact, it kind of ostracized our family from everybody else because they felt like that we were too good to be around them and, and all that kind of stuff. And so it was just very difficult on, on that side of the family. But my mother was very faithful in praying and very faithful in just committing herself to God and saying, God, your word says, you and all your house will be saved. Yes. And so she would just pray and pray, and years would go by. And, and uh, my grandfather in 2006 got very sick. Uh, he had emphysema. He'd smoked for many, many years. And, um, and that's where he would spend the rest of his days. But while in there, my mother got news that he had surrendered his life to Jesus up there in Minnesota. So she called and talked to him on the phone and she said his whole demeanor had changed. He was a gruff man. Anybody, I don't know if any of you ever met my grandfather uh, from up there, but he talked like this and sound like a pirate. <laughs> <clears throat> he, uh, but she spoke to him on the phone and he sounded very soft. And so she said, I want you guys to call your grandfather. This might be the last time you talk to him. So I talked to him on the phone and it didn't even sound like him. His voice is real soft. Like even his voice changed. It was interesting when he gave himself to the Lord and, and passed away and went on to heaven. It was extraordinary to see that right up to the end of his life, 
but my mother, who was faithful to God and praying to him, made yes. sure that he was brought to Jesus. And, 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 and then my grandmother came to our play, A Gospel According to Scrooge, and we first did it when we were downtown. And after the play was over, we gave an invitation for any of those who would, would want to meet Jesus and surrender their heart to him. My grandmother did that day. And life for her began to change. And her relationship with my mother changed. And they have Bible devotions over the phone now. This, this was not even close to reality when we were growing up. But now she'll go up to my grandmother's and, and spend time with her, and they'll just get into the scriptures together. And my grandmother just hungered for the things of God. Last year, she got a really bad report from the doctor, got sick. And they were, they were saying all kinds of things about what her sickness possibly could be because it was not good. I mean, she was just having lots of problems. And, and uh, so, but she had been reading the scripture. She'd been reading about healing. And so she just started talking to my mother about that she was healed. And she believed that. She believed in the power of God's word. And she got healed. The doctors were just baffled. I mean, she came up out of all that sickness and, and is doing great. It was just amazing. And, and she really, it just really solidified even more her faith in God and the power of his word in her life. I'm saying all that because if you're, if you're not careful that you, you'll, you'll just kind of disregard your family, those that are nearest to you and the most familiar with you, because you just don't want to deal with the awkwardness and the difficulty of trying to move past what we, we each know just to get them to Jesus. Just to, I mean, if you can't, you know, if you can do it right there in your living room and talk to people, talk to your family about that, that's great. But oftentimes it's that area, it's that environment of familiarity that you can't really break through barriers like yeah. that. That's why we're here. That's Amen. Right. That's why the church is here. So that a meeting place where others can come and they can, they know to expect yeah. that God's going to be spoken about. They know to expect that the word of God is going to be declared. So I want to encourage all of you to be a bringer, bring your families. Yeah. Amen. Keep praying for them. If they don't come, keep praying for them. Yeah. But always keep an open invitation. Always be ready. Andrew thought it important to bring Peter. Not that Peter had any kind of calling on his life that he could see. He was a fisherman. But he brought him to Jesus, and we know the rest is history. I mean, something. Think about what Andrew's decision how it rippled down through the generations because he brought Peter to Jesus. Peter has this amazing experience with the Lord. And then Peter began to help build the church after Jesus was resurrected. Peter even penned some of the scriptures. And as a result, all of our lives were affected by this little apostle who brought his brother to Jesus. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Let's continue to move forward. You all right? Yeah. All right. Let's look at another instance in Andrew's life. He moves from the everyday people in his life, like his family, to everyone. Now, look at John chapter 6, verse 5. It says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to him, said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here, or a boy, who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. We know what happened. Andrew brought the little boy to Jesus who had his lunch and voluntarily gave it up to Jesus, and Jesus made a miracle happen out of that little boy's lunch and fed thousands of people with that lunch that day. Andrew brought a child 
to Jesus. Now that not, might, might not seem like much to you the, that he brought a boy, but you have to think about children in that day are, were not viewed as they are today. They're often overlooked and seen not much more than little dogs running around the neighborhood. It wasn't until the 18th century or so that, that we began to view children as innocent and angelic. Anybody have kids in here? You know a different reality than that, don't you? These days, are, our images of children are seen in paintings, right? Y'all remember Norman Rock, Rockwell paintings? Or what's that lady's name? Aunt Ann Getty, who dresses them up in fruits and vegetables and potted plant babies and that kind of stuff, right? So we get this real sentimental images of children, <laughs> like, I don't get how come everybody's child is superb and brilliant. <laughs> when did that happen? When I was a kid, there were dumb kids around, right? <laughs> but now every child is exceptional, right? Everybody gets a trophy, no matter what the score is, right? Everybody's wonderful, Right? I mean, just screams mediocrity, right? Parents up at the schools depleting teachers and coaches of their authority to fight for my child's cause. Your child is not athletic. Quit trying to make him be something that he's not. Maybe your child's just not all that smart. Just get over it, mom and dad. Maybe they do misbehave. Did you ever think that maybe the teacher is there trying to control a room full of children and maybe being on their side for once would really help things work better and smoother? Amen. I know I, when I was growing up, that was not the case to have the luxury of having my parents go up and fight my, for my cause at the school. That was unheard of. Amen. And I turned out just fine. Amen. Beaten a lot. But I don't understand what the deal is. It's this, there's this high exaltation of children. Even parents will choose a church based on the kids' program. And I'm not saying that's all that bad, but many times they'll suffer through really bad teaching and doctrine and shallow kind of preaching where they're not getting a rich feeding of the word because they got Disneyland for their kids to go to, but they'll sit in church and suffer when really it's quite a bit more important for the mom and dad to be fed the healthy word because they're the ones that are training up the child in the way they should go. The child's not training them. They're training the child in the way that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. There is a, a way that your child should go, and they're not the ones that ought to be choosing it. It's for you to train them up in the way they should go. And you can't know if you don't know what the Word says. If you don't know who God is, if you don't know His way, then you'll just grope out there and just hope for the best. And ladies and gentlemen, you will raise weak children in society if you don't train them up, if you don't give them a clear-cut path to walk. They need boundaries. They need borders. They need boards on their rear ends. They need you to show that you love them. That you care enough about them that you're willing to do the right thing no matter what. Because the right thing is not the easiest thing. I promise you that. Amen. But the right thing is the right thing. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Now let me just give a little disclaimer here because I don't want anybody going, well, Pastor Eric doesn't love kids. I do too. I've got three of them for Pete's sake. 
Maybe it was the love of just the process of how kids get here that I love more than actual kids, but they showed up anyway. But I do want to say this. I believe in the importance. I believe it's vital that our children are ministered to, and I believe it's important that we have a profound strong children's ministry in this church. And we do, and it's even getting better. And I'm looking forward to the day when we can have state-of-the-art facility for our children. And I thank God for my sister Jennifer Miller and all those who faithfully serve in our kids' ministry. I mean, think about this. You come in here and your kids, you know that they're receiving a good teaching here. Every time. You don't have to sit in here and wonder, oh God, what's happening back there? If you want to know, just you know, maybe check it out. But uh, I can guarantee you they're in good hands and they're being taught the right kinds of things. And I, I, I do believe that that's extremely important. Please understand this. But mom and daddy, not at the expense of you not receiving what you need to receive. Amen. Amen. So the way that we, we are about our children today, just, it just wasn't that way in the first century. And during Jesus' time, uh, there, there wasn't this growing market for adorableness for children. They were simply seen as the next replacement for the adults, right? And they really were. I mean, don't you remember when the children came to Jesus and, and the, the, the disciples were trying to shoo the, shoo the pesky little kids away? And Jesus got angry with them. He said, allow the kids to come to me. This is what the kingdom of God is made up of. Don't get so big that you forget everyone. Amen. Amen. The death rate for children was very high back then. I mean, the, the mortality, infant mortality was something like 30%. And another 30% didn't even survive past the age of nine. It was a rough time for kids back then. So, I mean, they, they, weren't, they weren't coddled so much. They weren't getting little bubble baths at night. <laughs> Tucked into their little SpongeBob sheets. <laughs> kissed on the forehead and, you know, read a little Bible story. It was different time. This really isn't about ministering to kids so much as it is Andrew bringing this boy as it is. He represents those that are overlooked often. Those that are out there that are lost, that are lonely, that are least of these. That are merely in the, the potential stage of life. Those that others say, well, someday there'll be something. When there are others, like Shane, Allison, Burke, who say there's something now. Yes. I appreciate people who are called to kids' ministry and love, love to minister to them at their level and just burn for that. Andrew, something about him just wouldn't overlook the children. You don't know. You can't know what miracles are there amongst those that God puts you in the middle of. But if you'll bring them to Jesus, if you'll bring them to the house of God, the miracles can be realized. Uh Y'all know Pastor Jim Hester? My my dad's pastor, Pastor Pastor John's pastor. Little old man from Arlington. He pastored a great church there for many years, Arlington Christian Center, and then after that he retired. This is his retirement going to all the world and preach the gospel after he got through pastoring the church. I love this guy. And not kidding, he really has gone to all the world. I mean, he ministered to missionaries on every continent on the globe. 
And so for many years, he spent lots of time raising uh, support, financial support, and then pastoring these guys and mentoring them and, and doing what he could. And just traveled all over the world. Amazing. And so every Sunday, he found himself in an American pulpit, church pulpit, uh, raising funds for these missionaries. He would preach, and then all the money that they would gather, he would send over there, even to his own hurt at times, you know. And my dad would try to advise him, you need to probably live off of some of that, Pastor Jim. Uh, but, but he would just so wanted to bless these other missionaries that he would even go without so often um, to do it. And he, uh, this particular... Uh, Sunday, he woke up, and basically his whole, he never really knew where he was going. His wife, Miss Joanne, who he calls Squirrel, Squirrel was, uh, she's the one that kept the calendar for him and made the appointments, and so he got up that Sunday morning and said, where am I going today, Squirrel? She said, you're going to Fort Worth, you're going to preach to street people this morning. He said, no, 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 I don't do that on Sundays. I mean, no, I can't do that. Street people don't have no money. I can't, I can't raise money for these missionaries. That's a, that's a very important day for me. I, I can't do that. She said, Jim Hester, you made a commitment months ago to so-and-so, and you will be there this morning. And so uh, Jim Hester didn't argue because he knows better because he's only about this tall, and all she's got to do is just drop an elbow on the top of his head. <laughs> no, but because he had made the commitment, and even more so because his wife told him he was going, he went. And he ended up there in Fort Worth, Texas, standing on the street corner preaching to street people. And as he's there, he sees a man that stands out from everybody else just by his, the way he's dressed. He's wearing custom-made boots, really nice ostrich boots, and he's got his jeans pressed and creased and some exotic leather jacket on. He said, all of a sudden, I had the spirit of discernment, the gift of discernment come upon me and let me know that this is no ordinary street person. <laughs> And after he finished his message, that man walked up to him and said, Pastor Jim, while you were preaching today, the Lord spoke to me to help you. And I'm going to help you. All this flying that you do all around the world, because he had shared with, with these guys what he did. All this flying that you do, he said, there won't be another day that you'll pay for it. I got every flat from here on. God. Now, Jim Hester had to kind of stop him for a moment because what he did not tell this man is that he truly went to every continent and dozens upon dozens upon dozens of nations that he would fly to. And so he just simply told the man, uh, I don't think you know how often I fly. To which that man said, I don't think you understand how much money I have. <laughs> because at that time he had a business that was worth about $70 million. And when he began to sow into this little missionary preacher, this little missionary pastor, Buying his plane tickets, his business increased 10 times. Praise 70 million to 700 dollars. <laughs> Everyone must be included in your scope of bringing to Jesus. There are miracles yet to be known by those who are all around you. Everyone, don't forget, we're all made in the image of God. That means we all need to hear what God has said, what he has to say. You know what to say. Scripture says, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. What that scripture just told us is, grace is the answer for every man. Yes. Yes. Grace is. Yes. 
Season with salt. What does that mean? That you make them thirsty. You're called the salt of the earth so that others will hunger for God when they have an encounter with you. Amen. Amen. Let's continue. I'm almost done. Are you all right? Yes. Say every day. These are the everyday people in your life. Say everyone. We don't forget anyone. Now watch this. Now this is interesting. John chapter 12. One more instance of Mr. Andrew. Our third look into this is everywhere. Watch this. Now, verse 20, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. So what does Philip do? Philip came and told Andrew. Why? Because Andrew brings people to Jesus. Good. Apparently he had this reputation at this point. He's willing to bring anybody. So these Gentiles show up, who, who the Jews had nothing to do with, who even Jesus didn't have much to do with, only, only for a few that reached out by faith. But other than that, he said, I am not sent but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. His ministry, his healing ministry, his teaching ministry was primarily to the Jewish nation. But every once in a while, there's a Gentile that would grab a hold of some of that covenant goodness just by faith. That Roman centurion who said, you just say the word and my servant will be made whole. I'm a man under authority, so I know how authority works. Therefore, I say to this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. So I know that you're a man also under the authority. You know, I don't even need you in my house. Your word is just as good as you being here. Hallelujah. And Jesus, the Bible says that he marveled. He said, I haven't seen this great faith even in Israel, even among my own people. How does this Gentile guy get this? Right? And the guy's servant was made whole. So Andrew had seen that happen. So these Gentiles, they come, they say, we want to see Jesus. So Philip says, oh, i got to go get the, the evangelist. All right, Andrew, what do we do? So Andrew and Peter both show up and they say, there's some Greeks, there's some Gentiles here that want to see you. Now, the truth is, Jesus did not give these guys the audience at this moment, but he gave them a view into what was going to happen. This is beautiful. I've talked to you about this before. And what happened when Jesus... Right after they told Jesus, Jesus goes off into this, what seems to be he, like he kind of lost his mind for a moment, right? He says, he says, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, then when it falls, when it goes in the ground and dies, then it produces much grain. Okay, thanks Jesus, but there's some guys here that want to see you. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like he stepped out on a balcony in a Shakespeare play and just broke off into a soliloquy, Right? You know, what? But what Jesus was saying really was the answer. Yeah. He said, you want to see Jesus? Well, this Jesus right here, this son of God, this seed from the Father is going into the earth to be sown. But when he comes up, hallelujah, there's going to be a harvest of Jesuses everywhere. There's going to be sons of God all over the place. Hallelujah. And this is what, now watch, look at verse 32 for a moment. This is beautiful of John chapter 12. And he, and he, after he, he's talking to his disciples about this, still in the same chapter, he says, and I, here's, here's the view into how this is going to work. If I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now watch, look at the amplified version. Do that, y'all have that? And I, if... When I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, will draw and attract all men, Gentiles as well as Jews, to myself. Hallelujah. So, 
What this means is everywhere means that you're willing to cross social economic lines, that you'll dare to breach racial borders, that you'll face the challenges that come with different cultures and ethnic groups. Because see, now it's different. Jesus was showing them what was to come, but we are living in what came. He was lifted up. That event, that moment where Jesus bloodied and bruised and burdened with the sins of the world, made his way up Golgotha's hill and was laid down, willingly laid down on that wooden cross and allowed those nails to pierce his healing hands and to be driven into his beautiful feet that went about sharing the gospel and to be suspended on that cross between heaven and earth for all mankind. At that moment, Galatians comes to mind It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. Having been made a curse for us, as it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham would come upon the Gentiles. Right there, he was opening the invitation to all mankind. No longer is it just about the Jewish people, but anybody who believes in me are in the nation of Israel. Anybody who believes in me become children of God. Hallelujah. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we would become the righteousness of God in him. This great exchange took place, and all of our sins were nailed to that cross. All of our wrongdoings, all of our perversions, all of our drunkenness, all of our adultery and our fornication, all of our lies and all of our cheating and all the things, all the backbiting and the gossiping, all those things were nailed to that cross. Jesus himself became that and we became righteousness. Hallelujah. Because it wasn't really our actions that was the problem. It was our being. It was our condition. Men were lost. They were helpless. They were hopeless, lost in sin. But Jesus came and changed the condition so that he could change the actions of men. He said, if I'm lifted up, it's at that cross. And from that cross, a message is going to go out. And that message is going to be this. Christ died for your sins and he was buried and he rose again three days later from the dead. And whoever believes on him will receive everlasting life. It's not just those who, the covenant people, those are not just Abraham's children. He said, whoever believes. This is everywhere. Every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. And in the end, the Bible talks about a day when all people groups We'll bow before him and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. Some of you are called to those difficult things. Some of you have a certain calling inside of you to go to different people, groups, different cultures, different countries. God bless you. And if that is in you, I say go do it. Do whatever it takes to get to it and do it. Don't forget the everyday people in your life, the family, those who you're so close to and familiar with. Remember those who are overlooked, everyone and everywhere. Be a bringer. Be a bringer.
Don't wait for opportunities. Make opportunities. Make them. The very fact that you breathed in air this morning when you woke up told you you have opportunity again. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Every day is an opportunity. Right. The fact that you're here, your existence here on planet Earth right now is your opportunity. Yes. So take it. Make it happen. Seize the day. Every day, everyone, and everywhere. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, I want to say... Thank you for this wonderful time in your presence. God, thank you for this great church. Thank you for One Cause Church. Thank you for the families, the beautiful people that are here today, God, that, that are being, have been, and will continue to be affected by your word, affected by this fellowship, God, that we are being knit together and built together, God, an amazing house for our God. Lord, thank you that you've collected these people together for your purpose and for your kingdom. God, help us to keep our eyes open. Jesus, you said, look up. The harvest is already ripe. It's there. When the harvest is ripe, we need people to go in and reap that harvest. Today, I want you to make a personal commitment to the Lord that you're going to be a bringer this year. You are going to not just talk about church or inviting people but bringing. Make a commitment to God to be a bringer, that you'll do your part and you'll expect God to draw them by his Holy Spirit. He's made you partners with him in the kingdom. It's amazing that God not only saved us to do something for him, but he elevated us all the way up by his side and made us co-laborers with him, that we do things with him. So I want to encourage you, take your place. Take your place. Do it. Have that Andrew spirit, that Andrew attitude, that anybody, anywhere, any place, anytime is someone that needs to have an encounter with God. I think it's probably safe to say that most of you are here because you were brought. Somebody reached to you. Somebody brought you. Father, I thank you now that you help us to embrace this great call for all of us to be bringers. What an exciting moment in time for us to be a part of this time in history to be partakers of the building of your church and your kingdom. Help us, God, to be faithful stewards of that call and that gift that you've given us. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Eric, I need to get some things right today. I need to get some things right with God. And I just want to respond to him. I just need to make some changes. Quit living for myself. Be a better giver. Be more bold in sharing my faith, my story, my testimony with others. Just to be kinder. I need to quit being so short-fused and blowing up at my spouse or my kids. I need to make some changes today. If that's you, you just need to make some changes today. Just raise your hand where you're at. Between me and you and God, 
It's making some changes right now, making some adjustments. That's what repentance is. Repents, it's a big biblical word, but it just means to change your mind. Some of you just need to change your mind today. Make up your mind that you're gonna, you're gonna do it God's way. Thank you, Lord, for these hands that are raised today. God, I, I thank you for grace coming to them. Grace and peace be multiplied to them in Jesus' name. As they make these adjustments, God, I thank you, Father God, that you give them the grace to carry it out, God. Hallelujah. Thank you for your faithfulness. That you're not angry with us. Your anger was completely satisfied and came to an everlasting end at that cross. And now it's grace. It's your love flows freely to us today. And I thank you, Lord, that not one person will leave here today feeling condemned or ashamed. But Father, they'll walk out of here empowered by your grace. Lord, hallelujah, living in the love of Almighty God, accepting it for themselves and allowing it to flow through them as well in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Praise God. Let's stand together. Amen. Eric, would you come at this time and dismiss our family? Thank you for listening to our podcast. We want to invite you to join us in service Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Go to onecausechurch.com for location and events. You can also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at One Cause Church. If you would like to partner with our ministry, you can now donate securely online. Just click on the link located on the front page of our website at onecausechurch.com.